0: People sure do quote the Bible an awful lot, but so often it's not even what the Bible says. God will never give you more than you can handle. He won't. Eve ate the forbidden apple. She did. Money is the root of all evil, but is it? If you drink, you're going to hell. I am? The list of ways people misquote or misunderstand the Bible could go on and on. Where do these misunderstandings come from? And what about the stuff that's not in the Bible, but we still believe it's true? What Does the Bible Really Say? Welcome to the first episode of our newest series, Does the Bible Really Say?, where we'll explore hard sayings, popular myths, misinterpretations, and tricky themes in scripture. Sometimes scripture doesn't actually have a verse that says something we all believe to be true, but once we look at the entirety of God's word, we realize the idea is biblical. We'll actually be tackling one of those today. But first, of course, Theology on Air is an offshoot of Theology on Tap, a ministry to young adults in Houston, where we get together over craft beer, and we talk about interesting things around theology and philosophy, faith and culture. And um, I am Sarah Stone. I am the executive director of Theolo- Theology on Tap. I am joined by Evan McClanahan, as usual. He is the senior pastor at First Lutheran Church here in Midtown. And our guest today is Mace Perez. Mace, I realize that's not your given name. It's Mason. Mace is so violent sounding, you know, like Mace. It's very manly, very strong. (laughs) Mace is a former agnostic whose life has been transformed by the truth of the gospel. He's finishing up his master's of theology at Dallas Theological Seminary while serving as a church planting resident at Neartown Church in Houston. And he will set out in the fall to plant a church in the heart of the city. Really close to my house. I'm excited about that. So welcome back to Theology on Air. Just a couple of quick logistical reminders before we dive into all the tricky stuff. Um, you can find out everything you need to know about us at HoustonTOT.com. And when this episode comes out, we will be officially a nonprofit, tax exempt, tax deductible, all the things. So if you have, you know, Except bags of cash lying around <laughs> that you don't know what to do with, we will accept your donations, but also share the, share the podcast, share the love, make a comment. Like us, follow us, all that stuff so that more people can listen because I'm realizing that the questions we're tackling in this series, people really do have these questions. I feel like I hear at least one of these every week from somebody that's maybe even really a believer and they've been in church for a long time. But these are kind of confusing things. So we're tackling three questions today and we'll tackle more in our upcoming episodes. Uh, today we're going to be talking about um, does the Bible really say we're supposed to tithe? Does the Bible really say you should love yourself? And does the Bible really say that Jesus was God? Um, And this, this whole series is in the title, at least, a little bit of a callback to what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Because the serpent came and spoke to Eve and said, did God really say? And then we get into the weeds about, did he twist it a little bit? Did he kind of, you know, move around God's words? And so we're going to be doing a little bit of that, like, does the Bible actually have this verse in it? Or does it say it in its totality? Anyway, I thought we'd start with money. So, we're going to be tackling the question of, does the Bible really say we have to tithe? And before I give my thoughts, I'm going to kick it over to Evan. What are your thoughts on that, Evan? Does the Bible well, say?
1: first, with all that talk about taxes and tax exemptions and stuff. I
0: know. <laughs> um,
1: does the Bible really say that taxation is theft? Oh, here we go. This, this is Evan's. Th- that's a libertarian thing. That's not even uh, a biblical recently. thing. But Anyway, yeah. Okay. So, tithing. Um, you know, growing up Lutheran, we we never talked about tithing, like ever. Really? Yeah, and I just want to say, I think that the average Christian gives about two percent. Like that's the data oh, that wow. I've seen through the years, right? So the average church goer, and, and 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 probably it's actually quite less than that now. But just just as kind of a benchmark, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. where where people stand. But um, so normally when people answer this question, I think they basically give two answers. One is that, well, yeah. The Bible says to tithe, you know, just blank. First of
0: all, what is tithing? If someone's listening and they're like, I'm new to Christianity, what is yeah, this crazy it's word?
1: It's a tenth. One-tenth so di- of your – Giving 10% of your – of in in the Bible, we'll talk about, you know, your produce, you know, your grain. Uh, for people to, to do that in Jerusalem would have meant maybe they would sell what they have, then travel to Jerusalem and give that money that represents the tithe. Uh, so, give it where? Well – Well, that's what we're going to get to. But yeah, yeah, basically in the, in the Old Testament, it was given, uh, you know, to the temple, more or less, to Mm -hmm. put it, you know, to, to pay for the operations of the temple, uh, and to pay for the priests and, you know, that sort of thing. Because the Levites, you know, they were not given land. Right. They're the tribe that was not given land. They're the, they're the, the priestly family. And so they need to be supported. Mm -hmm. Um. And just like, I guess, pastors need to be supported. I was going to yes. say, I read
0: about Levites. Every time you read about like missionaries or fundraising your own salary, it always goes back to the Levites yeah. because they were sort of helped by the larger community. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um but there is pre-Levitical information mm-hmm. about tithing that we'll get to as well. Um, the, and the, so that, the first side is that the Bible says it do it. The second side is, yeah, the Bible says it, but it's, it's ceremonial law that's been done away with in Christ. So that's. It's, it is one of those issues that can put you into that whole debate about which aspects of Old Testament law carry over, if anyone would bother to have such a debate today. <laughs> but I do want to tell you a story first, because <clears throat> I know how much you like stories.
0: I love so, stories. Yeah.
1: So years ago, I was working in a secular environment, and somebody, I don't know, asked the question like, what is your favorite Bible verse? And right away, this guy said Malachi 310. Whoa. Mm. And I was like, what is that? That's what is Malachi? What is yeah. Malachi 310? Well, I'll read it for you. Okay. Uh, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby uh, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need.
0: Was this guy part of the prosperity gospel? Because they love that. Actually,
1: he really wasn't a churchgoer at all, but okay. he grew up in a very churchgoing family. And so my response was, wow, that's incredibly sad. That must be the, I don't know that it's his favorite verse but it's the one that's most he familiar to him, yeah. right? Because that's probably what they talked about in church all the time. Um, You know, so basically you have all these verses in the Bible about, you know, like grace and God's power and awe before God mm-hmm. and love and mercy and, you know, whatever. But this is like the verse that comes to mind. So um I do think that it is the case for a lot of people that that's kind of what they hear a lot in church, yeah. you know? And so tithing becomes this really – uh, negative thing. It's like a cudgel, you know, used uh, against churchgoers. And I think that's, that's really bad. Um, a lot of people think that the only reason the church exists is to figure out a scheme to separate mm-hmm. people from their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you see, uh, like, when I do student outreach, and I talk to people, and they tell me they watch this person on TV, or that person, I'm like, you can't watch anybody on TV, you know, um, <laughs> because it seems like they only exist to like make, you know, try to get your money. But let's look at a a few of the Bible passages that are most prominent. So that would be one. Um, Another would be Leviticus 2730, uh, which Malachi probably has in mind, and I'll read it. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Um, Now, what is the context of Leviticus 27? Uh, The whole chapter is really rooted in the expectations for the nation of Israel and several of the teachings in this chapter would be rejected outright by us, right? No, because we're not the nation of Israel. I mean, mm. we are Israel in the broad sense.
0: He's right? using scare quotes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you know, Paul says we are, we are we. Are, I would argue we are Israel. Like we're the new Israel. Yeah. Christians are the new Israel, but we're not in the nation of Israel anymore. So yeah, I think you can pretty well be done with. For for example, in Levit- Leviticus 27, we also learn that the the value of a working age male is fifty shekels. Anybody know the value of a working age female?
0: This sounds like dangerous territory.
1: Ten shekels. Oh,
0: dear. Ten shekels. Yeah. See, I knew there was a, a wage gap.
1: Does so, the Bible really say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is probably like the 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 whole debate about uh, the, the the slave compromise with like the the um, House of Representatives in America, right? It was basically a way to determine taxes. Okay. Right? So how much do you pay? Well, because he's out in the field working, he's worth 50. So you, that's the tax you pay and she's worth 10. But the point is that. This is a, uh, you know, the tithe, that you know, you have to figure out, well, how much is the tithe? How much is 10%? Like, how much are you worth? How much do you make? That sort of thing. Okay. There's another tithe. Uh, but this one's offered only every three years. Hmm. This is in Deuteronomy 14. It's to provide for the priests and their service. And this, uh, uh, so the tithe, um, the general tithe, the purpose uh, seems to be a reminder of the holiness of God and a reminder that everything is his, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it says. Hey. A tenth of everything is God's, you know.
0: Well, really, everything's God's, but that's Uh, to remind us of that, right? Exactly. So, in God's grace, He gives us ninety percent.
1: Yeah, abundance galore. You know, right? Pouring out. Um, The purpose seems to be then one of many ways that we are to be reminded um, of God's, and that seems to be what a lot of the law does. You know, it's like it stops you in your tracks. It says, "You know, this is God. He is holy. These are reminders." And that there's a whole conversation to be had about whether or not the, some aspects of the law are, are actually arbitrary in a way, mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, not only do they sound strange to us, but even at the time they were somewhat, I don't mean arbitrary in a bad way. I just mean that there's, they're not connected to anything. Um, that's all arguable. Like whether you shouldn't eat pig because it has trichinosis, right? Um, right. Or, or because there, there's something about particular foods that you shouldn't eat, but we'll, we can come back to that later or not. Um <laughs> So, uh, because the Levitical system at large, I mean, the Mosaic Covenant at large includes many Levitical laws that are done away with in the, in case anyone doesn't know, in the death and resurrection of Christ, right? Christ fulfills all of the law. Uh, And we would say for sure the ceremonial law is done away with. And New Testament texts like Galatians dealing with circumcision, I think, make that, you know, abundantly clear. Hebrews makes that abundantly clear that these things have been fulfilled. Um So then, the question is like, well, what what else does the Bible say about it? Well, actually, if you mm-hmm. go back to Genesis fourteen, there is a reference to a tie there as well, and that's hmm. the story of Melchizedek. Yeah, uh, which arguably what a crazy,
0: mysterious character in the Bible.
1: Yeah, who of whom Jesus is the priestly uh, child, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have the Levitical Descendant. priest, but Jesus is said in Hebrews not to be part of that priesthood, but he is a priest, and so Melchizedek is from. If my memory serves, his name means, oh, geez. Uh, it means,
0: oh, geez. That is crazy. Yeah.
1: No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Did that you? laughs> might actually have been blasphemy. The more though. you know. <laughs> yeah. Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun. Well, he's from Salem, which he's from Jerusalem, which means son of peace or king of peace. And yeah. his name means
0: someone's yelling at the radio right now. Um, Anyway. <laughs> radio. Sorry. Do people still listen to the radio? Uh, people have their smartphones connected to their cars. That's where they're going to listen to this podcast.
1: But is Mostly. that a radio? I don't know. Stereo. Anyway, um, okay. Quickly reading from that. After yeah. his return from the defeat of Chedor, oh, Chedor Lamor, uh, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, uh, went out to meet with him at the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Uh, he was priest of God most high and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high professor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him uh, a tenth of everything. So you could say that even before Leviticus, there's this pattern of giving a tenth mm-hmm. right? because there's there's the tithe. New Testament. Is there any mention of the tithe? Yes. Well, there is, but it's <laughs> not good. You know, it seems right. to not. It doesn't say tithe everything you have, which is how the church often uses it. Yes. So if we're living in the New Testament era, mm-hmm. if you will, um, it seems like there should be a New Testament text that says take 10% of all your wages or all your stuff or whatever and give that to the church and then tell you how often to do it. Because again, in the Bible, it says do this annually, do this every three, three years. Yeah. It right, says so quite specific. So the only real mention of it. Seems to be this time where Jesus is chastising mm-hmm. uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees, and it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the way to your matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So it seems pretty clear that he's saying you're being very punctilious about... I'm sorry, know, what now? punctilious is, oh is that a oh. word i thought you were it gonna say legalistic but yes oh, okay right. sometimes i just cool. say things and
0: we're uh, learning so
1: much um but you're very yeah you're very circumscribed about you yeah. know like exactly well this is a tenth of the dill plant or this is a tenth of the you know right it's human, like absurd yeah it, it's so they take these to an absurd but meanwhile yeah you're you're neglecting you know these very important issues so could that have something to say to us I think so. Uh, you know, Christian, like, are you uh, very? You know, are you are you giving? Are you writing the check for two hundred ninety three dollars and sixteen cents because you <laughs> got paid two thousand nine hundred? Right. You know, and um, but meanwhile, you know, you kick your dog. You
0: know, yeah.
1: Whatever. The, metaphorically speaking, kick your dog. Um, so the the New Testament does say a lot about giving and generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Paul is collecting money for the. Uh, I think it's the Macedonian church, but you know, and he, he, or maybe he's giving credit to them. I should have looked this up. Um, <laughs> anyway, generosity is a good thing. Um, You know, uh, Jesus says, um, wherever your treasure is, there there mm-hmm. your heart is also. So uh, Jesus very clearly, I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, wants us to live a life disconnected from, you know, our possessions. You know, it's easier for a, a camel to go through a needle. I have a needle than, a, you know, for a rich man to enter heaven. We could say what all that means. But, I do think that there is a a, 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 a a substantial, you know, repetitive teaching in the New Testament that we are to be disconnected from our things, to not love money, not, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, and therefore, I think we're to be generous. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit. You know, we're to be charitable, uh, you know, think about other people's needs, all of that. But it doesn't say to give 10%. Yeah. Um, and so I think the answer would be, to summarize all that, um, would be... Is 10% a biblical standard? I think you could say that, but I don't think you could say it's a biblical command. And I think those two things are different because we don't live in Israel. We don't have the temple. Um, You know, I have had pastors who absolutely will say, you don't believe in tithing? You know, like like I'm crazy. And it's like, well, it's not that I don't believe in tithing. Right. It's that it I don't believe there is a New Testament law that commands it.
0: Yeah. Because um, think about all the other times that Jesus says, like, you know, you've heard it said not to murder, but I tell you, blah, yeah. blah, blah. You've heard it said, you would think if tithing were something he was going to command, he would say, you've heard it said to give 10%, but I tell you, give 100 or whatever. Right. Well,
1: you know? actually, you know, you are freed up to give more than 10%. That's right. Right. The, the problem with the tithe is really kind of with any law is that we will make it, uh, something more than it is, right? Mm-hmm. We, we will, we will turn it into a good work. You know, that's oh, kind of the, yeah. the whole like, you know, I think, uh, Calvin talked about, you know, the heart is an idol factory, mm-hmm. you know, and so you can idolize virtually anything. You can use anything to kind of justify your standing before God. You can turn anything into a good work. And so, whereas I, I see what Jesus is saying is, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. You mm-hmm. know, so the moment that you do give a tithe or an alms, which are different, by the way, because you have offerings, or, offerings are above the tithe, right, and and um and then alms are specifically kind of earmarked for the poor. But um, but all that said, I think what he's saying, wh- whatever it is that you're doing, think nothing of it. So the mm-hmm. moment you write the check or you do the Zelle direct deposit monthly to theology or, on top, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um, you think nothing of it. it's just gone, and and you just you know. Not that you're irresponsible for it. You should probably, you know, get the church audited every now and then or something
0: like that. Well, and I also think about um, this sort of matter of the heart. You know, like Jesus talks about not you're tithing like you're mint, but you're not, you know, acting out of justice and faithfulness and these things. Also makes me think about the story in Acts about Ananias and Sapphira. You know, like everybody was pooling their money. Yeah. This is why some people are like, see, we should be socialists, but that's for another episode but they're pulling their money and they're all that's acting the as one Bible and
2: really sick <laughs> Are
0: you just gonna keep saying that the whole time i love it in his good radio voice um but you know ananias and Sapphira, they offer up what they say is a certain amount and then they're lying and then they get struck down dead it's not a great end for them but the reason so they get tithe. struck down yeah really that's if i but, were a pastor but, but didn't they give more than a tithe yeah, it wasn't about a tithe. It was just yeah, about whatever just the amount, they sold yeah. land, right? And they right. said that they gave the whole amount right. of right. the land. But they kept some back. But they kept some back, which would have been fine. It wasn't that they kept it back, right? It's that they were dishonest about it and they like grieved the spirit. I, th- I don't have it in front of me, but. um, Can
1: I share a very quick, interesting theory about that? I would love that? that. Okay. So the people in Paul's day, the early Christians believed that the destruction of Jerusalem is coming mm-hmm. because when Jesus said not one stone will be left, they took that to mean that was coming. So yeah. that, that gets into the whole predatorist debate and whether, you know, whether Jesus essentially was prophesying the events of AD 70 mm-hmm. or if he's, you know, still if, 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 end if, if the end times down. are like going to be in five minutes. Which, right. You know, seems like way too many people believe. So, um but the early, but the argument, the preterist argument, is that Jesus was prophesying an imminent destruction of Jerusalem. And I don't know if you know what happens when a city is destroyed, but property values go down. <laughs> so the the thought
0: was wisdom from Evan McLean
1: again. Yeah, the the thought was that sell now because this oh, land is going to be worth wow. much. This is going to be a great benefit to the church to have you know money that's you know would be reduced by I don't know a factor of ten to keep the theme. Um, <laughs> so it's an it, it, interesting theory. I don't. It can't be proven, but. Um, but, but it definitely would have been the case that Jerusalem's real estate was not very valuable in eighty seventy one, you know, <laughs> but eighty sixty nine still not He's saying though. AD.
0: That. It sounds like 80. Oh, I'm sorry. 80, AD yes. 70 is when. Well, yeah.
1: domino, domino.
0: Domino is exactly <laughs> what it is. It's just a,
1: it's a game. Yeah. But, but even in that case, it's more evidence that Paul wasn't sitting there saying when you sell the land, give me 10% on the nose.
0: Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: There is a side issue as well of taxation. You know, y'all, y'all may know that like for example the Mormon church, which is not Christian, but as an example, um, they they require uh, a W two from the from the household. Whoa. And then the ten percent is off the the gross. Jeez. Yeah, not the net. The no, net yeah. is your what's left over take after home. you pay
0: taxes. It's so your right? actual income.
1: Yeah. Huh. So um so but the gross, so if you make a hundred thousand but you only take home eighty, you have to pay a full ten percent to the penny on the on the gross. So um so there's
0: gross. Yeah. <laughs> and and
1: and uh, Christians do that too, whether they do the W2 thing or not, but there are Christians who and there are pastors who will absolutely say that it is unbiblical not to tithe on the gross. So if there are people out there who have heard that, I can imagine them being somewhat disheartened if that's yeah. their experience of church, you know. <laughs> um Again, my own view would be that given that we live in this social, you know, socialistic paradise called the United States of America, <laughs> uh, where in theory they're taking our taxation, ta- tax money and, and redistributing it to people in need, um, you know, which is a- essentially, I would argue, a function of the church or it should be or could be a function of the church. Um, my own view is that I don't say, hey, I think it's OK if you tithe to tithe off the net. Mm-hmm. That's my own view. Um, because in theory, the government is doing things that we would otherwise band together to do.
0: Yeah. Whether the they're dream. doing a
1: good job of that, I don't know. But they're taking my money and whatever. Ostensibly doing that. I we are paying for Ukrainian pensions now, so there's that. <laughs> okay, we've derailed. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> so they, uh, but you know, but whether or not it has to be the ten percent, I don't know. I think that some people can afford to give more than ten percent. Mm-hmm. Some people can are not in a position to give ten percent um is it a good benchmark a good standard yes it cannot be legally if you if you legally prescribe that i think that you would honestly have to look at all other ceremonial legal prescriptions. Yep. you're gonna end up going down that road now one of the groups are you looking at the hebrew roots movement in the up- uh uh-huh. okay yeah because this would be one of their things i know right? yeah um, the Hebrew Roots movement would talk about hold, you know keeping Sabbath. This is Christian. This is not Messianic Jewish. Right. This is, these are Christians.
0: We'll explain all of that in the yeah.
1: episode. But yeah, but yeah. This would be one of their so issues. Subscribe.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> He's just our PR smash guy. That, <laughs> smash <like> that a... <laughs>
1: button. Hit ring that bell. Um,
0: Do we even have a bell on our YouTube thing? I don't even know. I don't know. Anyway, at least I'm yeah. curious if you have any thoughts on this because uh, we've been just doing all the talking.
2: No, this is great. Okay. Um, I would, uh, I think my view would be very similar to what Mm -hmm. Evan just described. Um, I'd probably go a little bit further, um, in the sense of, I think the three-part division of the law, in my opinion, in my understanding of scripture is a little bit, uh, artificial. Mm -hmm. And so I would say we are not under the Mosaic covenant, period. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and Evan said this as well, and so I think the thing that comes to my mind to double click on is, Paul says in Romans 6.14, you know, we're not under law, we're under grace. Yeah. And so this idea of, if to pre- rephrase the question like, should Christians be generous? Yes. But it's not because we have to. It's because we get to. Yeah. That we get to take mm-hmm. of the resources that God has provided for us, and we get to partner with people in gospel ministry. I think that that's where, you know, that's what I would appeal to when it comes to say like supporting our pastors. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, I would I would go there before appealing to the like oh, temple, yeah, uh, the Old Testament background. Um, so we get to support mm-hmm. gospel ministry. We get to support missionaries, and we also get to. Um, support our brothers and sisters in need. Yeah. Um, so not a pure financial example, but f- for example, in our small group at our church, there's a young woman who's trying to make some radical changes in her life, um, in order to be obedient and faithful to the Lord. And that is putting her in a bit of a financial predicament, mm. also making her living situation a little bit challenging. And so yesterday, you know, my, my wife Jennifer, you know, just offered our house. Say, hey, you know, we're home all day. You're you have a place to stay here all day. Bernard, my son, has <laughs> his own room. He never sleeps in his room. He sleeps in the bunk bed in my daughter's room. That's adorable. She's like, we have a bed available. You are wow. you are welcome. And so that's not a financial example, but it is an example of like, hey, the Lord is freely given to us <laughs> and it's not like my wife in that moment was like, well, I guess I'm supposed to do this because I'm a Christian. Right. It's like, th- what a beautiful thing that I can meet this sister yeah. in her time.
0: Yeah. So as you're talking, I had some notes written down, which I don't need any of them because Evan gave us a like entire treatise on the whole thing. But uh, I had written down 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 7, which is exactly what you're talking about. So I'm going to read it. Um, This is Paul speaking. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Here's the good part. I mean, that was good, but this is better. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, I, I spent all summer in college going to all African-American churches because I was working with a bunch of people that went to those churches and I wanted to experience something different. And a lot of those churches, when they get ready to like collect the offering, they will like have like the musical start up and they'll all hold up their... It was checks because it was a long time ago. They'd hold up their checks, kind of wave them in the air and almost like cheer and chant because it was like, we're gonna be cheerful about this. We're excited right. to give money to... And in that case, it was money, but you're right, it could be your energy, your time, your stuff. Um, our My old pastor used to use this story. I liked it. He talked about when he would take a road trip with his kids and they would stop and get snacks. And, you know, one person would get MMs, another person would get Oreos or Red Vines or whatever. And they'd get back in the car and they'd be driving and he would hold his hand. You can't see me, but I'm holding my hand sort of back behind me. You know, the driver holds his hand back and he would hold his hand back for his kids, just give them like one or two of their little snacks. And a couple of times they would grumble, be like, it's ours. And he'd be like, but is it, you know, it's mine. And the whole idea is like, it's all mine. I'm just asking for a nibble and partly to remind you that it's, I was the one that provided it. Right. I like that. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, I guess we've landed on it's a matter of the heart and, um, you should give generously, especially to your local missionaries and, no, let me stop. Okay.
2: And theology on and top. And theology on mm-hmm. top. Um,
0: <laughs> but, um, Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. I'm going to move us on. Not that that's everything we could say on it, but um, this next one is a little more touchy feely. Um, And the question is, does the Bible really say to love yourself? Um, I have heard this phrase so many times, um, especially in the last like decade. It's become a real thing right that you see on social media and you hear influencers talking about you'll you'll hear people say things like you know i can't pour out to others and give to others of who i am until i've filled up my own cup until i've loved myself enough that the love overflows to others and i think the best biblical case you could make for that excuse me which i don't think is correctly understood but comes from um, you know, the passages where Jesus says, you know, all of the law can be summed up in these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That as you love yourself is sort of hotly debated because he meant one of two things in my estimation. You guys jump in if you think there's a third option, but he either meant love others as you love yourself. So you need to love yourself first so you can understand what it looks like to love others. That's option one. Option two is love others like you love yourself because you are very good at loving yourself. You already do that naturally. That's like your nature is self love. It's self focused, selfish, self absorbed. And so can you get a little bit of that to some other people? That would be nice, you know? And I am of the thought that he was it was the second. Um and I think the totality of scripture points to that. Um it's like a critique, right? Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of a jab. It's like, hey, wink. You're doing just fine at loving yourself. Maybe a little less of that and sprinkle it around, you know? Um, I wrote down, uh, there's a passage in Philippians, in Philippians two that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I think that sort of combats the, the first take. On the love yourself thing, right? If you're loving others over yourself, obviously, if everyone's doing that, we're in a really great position. This is kind of the mentality behind um, marriage. I mean, I, back in a whole other lifetime, I used to be a marriage and family counselor, and this idea, which is very foreign in our modern age, to love the other person more than you love yourself. If both those people are doing that, you're getting a lot of love, and you're oh, you're always other focused, and makes for a really good deal right? That keeps marriages strong for decades. If you're looking at yourself first, that's where things start to crumble. Um, I want to give a caveat on this before I throw it out to you guys. This is not to say that we are worthless, right? Like I'm not taking this all the way to some extreme cranky end where I'm like, think nothing of yourself, you're trash, you're a worm. Um, I do believe in total depravity, but I also believe that we're made in God's image and that he loves us so much, right? That he not only created us, but he bought us back, in the rescue that he did on the cross. Um, and so that means there's a lot of worth there. There's a, there's a worthiness. We have worthiness by virtue of being made by God made in his image. Um, I'm also not saying that we shouldn't be self-reflective or self-aware. I think that, you know, I used, like I said, I used to be a counselor and I think there's so much value to understanding yourself, knowing yourself, you know, being sort of in touch with your thought life, um, and, you know, taking personality tests and all that kind of stuff that helps you understand who you are and to, um, maybe even like celebrate the strengths and the gifts God has given you is awesome. That's different, I think, than loving yourself. Um, and so maybe, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're getting into semantics there, but I just want to give those caveats before I turn it over so people aren't like, man, you're saying you should hate yourself? And yep. then, actually, I'll say one other thing while I'm on my, uh, rant. Um, the same people that are saying love yourself are the same people that will say the phrase there's two other phrases that um get under my skin um that you should forgive yourself and you should show yourself grace now i understand the the concept behind those and so often when people say them i'll just nod because i know what they mean is um be be gentle with yourself right or let go of something that god has already taken care of um or you know lay it down before god th- that kind of thing but words matter. And when you say forgive yourself, you're making an unattainable goal, because you cannot forgive yourself, because you're not that that's not how it works. The person that you've hurt is another person and or well, always and God, that's who needs to forgive you, other people and God, and in the absence of other people, only God, right? If it's someone that's died, or is no longer like around, um, God is who forgives, we can look to God's forgiveness, we can remember God's forgiveness, we can lean into God's forgiveness. I think that's what people mean. I'm going to stop my rant now and see if you guys have any thoughts to add. I was enjoying the ranting. <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Well, good, because yeah. there's a whole series coming where it's just going to be me ranting. It's going to be Sweet. fantastic. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, similar to you, I think. Um, does the Bible really say to love yourself? I think the Bible assumes that we do. Right. I think that is the the assumption. Now, I remember being my wife and I were co-leading a student mission trip one time. And we got to that passage, you know, love your neighbor as Mm -hmm. yourself. And, you know, this teenage girl asked, you know, but what if you don't love yourself? Uh And so I want to be sensitive to the fact of, you know, there may be some people listening to us that are dealing with some mental health or emotional Mm -hmm. health challenges that might say, you know, well, you love yourself, but I don't. Right. And so I think a couple of important, I don't know if caveats would be the right word, but just... Additional thoughts would be I think that's actually evidence that the definition of the b- biblical definition of love and what Jesus means in that mm-hmm. moment and what we think in this mm-hmm. kind of like self esteem age mm-hmm. by loving ourselves is not necessarily the same thing.
0: Preach, let's so, go, keep it going. Like
2: a parallel passage would be in Ephesians 5, um, verses 28 and 29. So, husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own body. Sounds very much like Jesus' words, right? Love Mm -hmm. your neighbor as yourself. Love your wife as yourself. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, Mm -hmm. but nourishes it and cherishes it. And so, it seems like the biblical definition of love is like you were saying earlier, like you feed yourself, you go to sleep, you take care of yourself Mm -hmm. physically that's what it is saying. And then I would also agree with what you were saying in terms of just the inherent selfishness, even that like kind of self-loathing that someone might be experiencing. uh, I don't know anyone who's experienced that that like is okay with that feeling or think that Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's usually a feeling that they (laughs) want to rid themselves of. And so I think that is evidence that underneath there is Mm. a desire for their own happiness. So Mm -hmm. even that self-loathing, Shows a desire for their own good, yeah, and is actually evidence that they are loving themselves, yeah. And just because uh, we're sitting here in First Lutheran, I have to get at least one Martin Luther mm-hmm. quote. Uh, Do it. <laughs> uh, so he said in his lectures on Romans, he said Scripture describes man as so curved in upon himself that he uses not only physical but even spiritual goods for his own purposes, and in all things seeks only. Himself. And that was one of Luther's ways of describing what we're talking about, this inherent selfishness mm-hmm. that is true to all of us in this. Yeah.
0: Stage. There's, I want to step carefully here, but even, and I have teenagers and I'm surrounded by teenagers. And so I hear this kind of stuff a lot, you know, but I don't love myself. Um, even there, and I would not say this to the person struggling with it, but there's, there's a thread of selfishness in that. Because the focus is on how do I feel about me? And I think a gift that we can give people that are struggling with that is to remind them that in the end, actually how you view yourself, we can put that, we can put a pin in that for a minute. And first look to what does God say about you, right? Look at the creation where he says, very good. Look at all of the passages. My gosh, it almost becomes annoying. How many times in the Old Testament, people walk away. God comes back and rescues them over and over and over again. Rescue, 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 rescue. Love, 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 love. Like, I want this to be better. Do these things so you'll flourish. Obey me so things will be good. Um, God loves us and there is so much worthiness there that when you're focused so much on yourself that you can't see that that's its own version of being selfish and self-focused right if we were to look to god oh man we would think so much better about ourselves in a in a good way right in a healthy way um again that's not how i would say it but i would direct people back to what do you think god thinks of you right like let's explore that some Anyway,
1: it's trying to pull people into the objective reality, the way way things actually are, rather than like what you think that they are. Well said. Like I was thinking about Philippians 2, um, kind of one of the famous, I mean, it's one of the famous, arguably Christ is God passages. Um, But uh, did I go past it? Yeah, hang on. Um, So, for example, he says, you know, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, let each of you look not only to your own interests but to the interests of others. I don't think it's so much about, you know, loving or hating yourself. It's just like thinking less of yourself one way or another, you know, because I agree that the self-hatred can just be a way, to, another way to get attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, we even call it that, like when people attempt suicide. It's a call for help, you know, yeah. it's a cry for help. I mean, I'm not casting a psychological aspersion on somebody or, or a character aspersion on somebody. Um, but the point is... it's not to have a high value of ourselves or a low value of ourselves, but to have a high value of Christ and to put Christ in the center. And so I think loving yourself, another way, I mean, you know, anyway, I I think that's almost like another way of saying just putting yourself where you don't belong. Yeah. The the world doesn't revolve around you is how my mom might said it. Right. You know? (laughs) Um, Well, it's like
0: a disordered desire, almost like Augustine talked about. Who's the person that said, um, Humility isn't thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less. Yeah, that's that's a, like, was that Lewis? I think no.
1: I think Jesus said that.
0: I don't think no. it was
1: Jesus, but but he does say when you attend a wedding, you know, take the lowest seat and let your your host, you know, you know, honor you by putting you at the high seat. Right? Mm. Don't don't take the high seat and then have to be forced down. Yeah. Or you know, the first shall be last, uh, yeah, you know, and the last shall be first. I mean, there. It, this seems to be, you know, again, a, just a theme throughout, which is just think of yourself less. Uh, I mean, or or again, Matthew 6, I guess it was just Ash Wednesday. We always read, Ma- you know, Matthew 6 for Ash Wednesday. You know, when you fast, do not fast like the hypocrites do. Don't blow the trumpet before you go into pray. Do not look <laughs> dismal, but rather, you know, put oil in your hair and, and you know, look, look good, you know. Don't <laughs> announce to the whole world, you know, your, that you're so, your so hungry. Head. What? Yeah. By
2: putting ashes on your
1: head? Oh, uh, well, actually, <laughs> shots fired. No, no, no. Uh, I do. Uh, there, there was this kind of whole Facebook thing where it's like, don't, don't take a selfie with your ashes. Yeah, you know? and I do think that's appropriate teaching. Like, yeah, if you do, I, I would, I would defend the practice of Ash Wednesday, but I do think that there are ways to go about it that are that are wrong. For example, I could have ashed myself any time that day. Nobody could have faulted me for it. You know, but I wouldn't do that because I ha- we haven't had the service yet. It was at seven o'clock. So and I think that that would have ended up being parading, you know, some kind of, I don't know, piety that mm-hmm. would be inappropriate. So, yeah. So I think it's it's not it, the Bible doesn't say to love yourself. The Bible doesn't have to say you love yourself because in every right. example that we love our love of yourself comes quite naturally. The struggle for us is to think less of ourselves. Right. Yeah. I think. So that would be a, a reframe on it.
0: I love it. And we're all in agreement. So lovely. Um, Okay. So the last question we're tackling today, um, the question on the table is, does the Bible really say Jesus is, Jesus was, still is, God? And um this is one of those, I'm going to turn this over to Mace in just a second, but this is one of those, I think everything we've talked about today and in the whole series, we're going to have a lot of these things where, no, there's not a verse that says, you know, like one of the ones we're tackling in week uh, or in the third episode is does the Bible really say not to have sex before marriage? There's not a verse that says don't have sex before marriage. But when you look at the totality of scripture, well, you'll have to listen to episode three to find out. But this is one of those. But this is a really important one because, I mean, so much of our theology rests on this idea. I have been in a Sunday school. And said something about Jesus being God. And somebody that is has been a Christian a long time, grew up in some questionable theology, but um, said, oh, no, he wasn't. And then I had to really quick dig through scripture. And I was like, good grief, it's kind of hard to find. I mean, you really have to culminate. I'm going to put a bunch of, of verses together to get to this. So it's trickier than you think. Um, but I'm going to kick it over to you, Mace. Do you think that the Bible says that Jesus is God?
2: Yeah, well, thanks for giving me the tricky question. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes, I do. Um, Now, I've heard this question a couple of different ways. Uh, So there's the, does the Bible really say more broadly? But sometimes you even hear like a nuanced version of this question that's like, uh, so C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity had his famous trilemma of Mm -hmm. Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic. Or he's Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, so either he's walking around saying all this stuff about himself, including that he was divine, but he was just a, you know, snake oil sales- salesman. You know, right. he's a liar. Shady. Yeah. Or he actually believed it, but it wasn't true. So he's crazy. Or he really is who he said he was. Yeah. Well, some people have come along and I would have put myself in this category, you know, 20 years ago of, um, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Right. But so it's not liar, lunatic, or lord. It's it's a legend, and Ooh, so okay. you know after his death, you know just like we do with many historical figures mm-hmm. that we you know we kind of keep the good and we throw away the bad, and, yeah. and this this our our understanding of the, who this person is like becomes this grand hero. Yeah. yeah, exactly right, and so um, you know, so yeah, you know, we could go straight to Paul or something and try to find some verses that might indicate the divinity of Jesus. But Jesus didn't say that about himself. So I, I want to start there. And the the passage I want to go may not be kind of one of the first passages that often comes to to people's mind. I want to start in Mark 2, 1 through 12. Okay. And I want to start there for a couple of reasons. One, let's look and see what Jesus actually said and did. Uh, number two, frankly, this passage just on my mind because a friend of mine is preaching this soon, and we were just talking about it. But number three, um, so going back to that idea of, you know, Jesus being divine at least was a legend. That so the theory goes is you know Mark was written first Mm -hmm. of the four gospels and he presents a very human Jesus. And then by the time you get to John, which is the last one, that's when we get the most like explicit claims of the divinity of Jesus. So let me just like grant for the sake of argument, most scholars, even conservative scholars, do agree that Mark was the the first one written. So let's, let's start there before we maybe go to the Gospel of John uh, in a minute. And so pretty famous passage, but maybe people haven't thought about it in this, this light. So I'm just going to read and then I'll kind of comment as I work my way through very it.
0: Very pastoral. I like it.
2: Yes. Uh, I am a DTS uh, student. Uh, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came back to Capernaum a few days later, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer space, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And some people came, bringing to him a man who was paralyzed, carried by four men. And when they were unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging and opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralyzed man was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Mm -hmm. So Jesus is claiming here in verse 5 that he has the authority to forgive sins. Mm-hmm. Verse 6, the scribes are looking on, and they're, they're thinking to themselves, it says, um, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God, God alone? alone? Mm-hmm. And the, the irony is, is on that last part, They're right. That's right. That only God Mm -hmm. does indeed have the authority to forgive sins. Um, Because sin ultimately is an act against God. Mm -hmm. It is against God. And so um, if Evan were to sin against Sarah. All the time. Not that that would ever happen. I can't sit here and say, it's okay, Evan. I forgive you. Yeah. Because I wasn't the one offended in that moment. So only the one sinned against in this, you know hypothetical example, <laughs> Sarah would have to be the one to the only one that would have the authority to grant forgiveness right. uh, to Evan. So in the same way, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are right that the only one who can forgive sins ultimately is God and God alone. And so here's how um, Jesus respond. It responds in verse 8 immediately Jesus aware in his spirit that they were thinking that way within themselves which by the way right notice that they never said anything out loud right. but he knows what's going on in their minds so he's
0: so, a mind reader at 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 least. the very least yeah. right
2: yeah exactly uh, and so he says to them why are you thinking about these things in your hearts which is easier to say to the paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say get up and pick up your pallet and walk and on the one hand It is kind of easier to say your sins are forgiven. That's right.
0: Because no one, you can't see it.
2: Yeah. There's no way to verify Mm -hmm. that or falsify that. Right. Right. But if I say get up and walk and the man doesn't get up and walk, then it's it's clear that, you know, I'm a fool. Yes. It's snake oil. Verse 10. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, the authority that only God has. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so to me, this verse is pretty clear that Jesus, A, does indeed claim to have the authority that only God can Mm -hmm. have and B, like Backs it up. Shows it, yeah. And the the side of everyone. Receipts, as they say. And so Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's just one example. And I know we, you know, you said this is kind of a tough question because in a sense, there's, there's no Bible verse that just flat out says Jesus is God. But in some ways, I think this is actually the easiest question because we can go to a a bunch of passages. Mm -hmm. So this is just one of my favorites. Um, because again, you can't just say, well, that was one of the later New Testament writings mm-hmm. after this legend of who Jesus was right. built up and built up. And, or you can't say, well, his his followers legitimately thought he was God, but Jesus didn't.
0: Yeah, Right. Man, that's really good. I have a whole list of passages. I don't have that one on there, but that's, that's solid.
2: And so then I, then I would go to uh, the other one I would go to, and again, we'd go to a bunch, but mm-hmm. then I would, okay, after kind of establishing that, I would go to, I think the... One of, if not the clearest passage is the opening of the gospel of John. I
0: knew you were going to say that. Um, So
2: um, the first three verses in particular, and again, Mm -hmm. I'll just kind of do the same thing. I'll just read and kind of comment um, as I go. So the opening of the gospel of John starts out, in the beginning was the word. And so right then and there, in the beginning, even if you're not that familiar with the Bible, should already be ringing some bells. Right. Because Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. It's going back to <coughs> the page one, the very first mm-hmm. verse of the Bible that in the beginning God. Right. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Here, John is saying in the beginning was the word. And we've, we will find out later in this chapter that clearly the word is Jesus. That's who he you is. You think it's clear? I do. Okay. I think as you continue reading through the yeah. passage, it is, um, especially once you get into verse four, 14 and following, mm-hmm. um, it, it becomes clear that he's talking about Jesus here. Um, so then there's a whole debate of why he, um, what is with this word, word and logos and, and the Greek. And I think the simplest, um, answer to that is Jesus is the revelation of God. Mm-hmm. That God's word, uh, often we'll use that phrase and Reference to Scripture, right? And this—it's it's God's revelation of Himself to us. Well, Jesus is um, the Word. Uh, the the writer of the letter to the Hebrews will say, you know, in the past God spoke to our fathers mm-hmm. in in many ways at many times, but in these last days He has spoke to us in Son. Hmm. So God has revealed who He is through the person of Jesus.
0: Hmm. That's good.
2: So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with. God and so some people will say um
0: there's just coexisting right there. yeah right, two you know, pals
2: right and so here's where we get there where I think this this question does get difficult is we have passages we'll get to you know where I think it really clear in this passage that Jesus is God but yet there seems to be a distinction between Jesus the word and God and ultimately that's where we get The whole idea of the Trinity, that Mm -hmm. he's in in one way, he is divine, but um, contrary to some false theologies out there, Jesus, the Son, is distinct from the Father.
0: His own person.
2: Yes, exactly right. Um, But the last part of the verse, I think, is uh, verse one is critically important to this discussion. And the word was God. So I think that's probably one of the clearest single verses Mm -hmm. that says... um, Jesus was, or we would say is, yeah. as he's still alive, God. Now some people come along, you know, some of the cults and things will say, Oh, you know, well, if you look at the Greek, there's no article there. The, okay. There's no the equivalent to the word the yeah. in English. And they're right on that. And they they use that to kind of like make us go, <gasps> and they'll say that it should be translated something like, you know, the word was. A God, God. Uh, That's but
1: the new uh, new world translation, right? right, right exactly, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, and they'll they'll actually you know tr- you know create whole translations of the Bible mm-hmm. just so they can retranslate that one word. Um, so we we've already mentioned I'm um, wrapping up my Masters of Theology at DTS. One of my very first classes at DTS um, was my very first Greek class, and it was literally like week two of Greek. That we talked about the article, mm-hmm. and by week two of studying Greek, I realized how ridiculous right. the argument is. Um, so, without trying to go too nerdy, um, so if you look at the Greek and you look at like a uh, an interlinear where it has like the Greek and English right on side top by side, one sort another, of, yeah. Um, the word order actually will goes and God was the Word, hmm. but. Um, so it is correct that the word theos, God, does not have the article, um, but um, we know that that word, even though it occurs first in the sentence, see Greek, word order is not does not affect the meaning of a sentence uh, the way that it does in English. Mm-hmm. So like uh, in an equivalent English sentence, it'll go subject, verb, mm-hmm. in this case, predicate nominative. And you know what, the, which is the subject and which is the predicate nominative mm-hmm. based on the order. So, here in John, he actually puts the predicate nominative first, but we know that ha the word, is the subject because of the pres- presence of the article.
0: Ooh, we are getting deep here. So,
2: okay. if he had put the article on theos, that which one was the subject and which one's the predicate nominative would be a little bit more distinct. Mm-hmm. What word order, or difficult, excuse me, is what I was trying to say, what word order can affect in Greek is the emphasis. Mm-hmm. So by throwing the word theos, God to the front of that mm-hmm. clause, mm-hmm. he's emphasizing uh, the fact that this word was God. And here's my whole thing. I know that's kind of nerdy and getting into whole Greek. You don't even need to know Greek to really you know realize that what they're saying is ridiculous because first of all they have, n- they again, their claim is that Because it does not have the definite article, we cannot interpret it definitely.
1: Mm -hmm, It mm -hmm. has
2: to be a God or something like that. But they have no problem translating predicate nominatives without the article definitely, even later on in this passage. So you ask me Hmm. if I think it's clear that Mm -hmm. the word is Jesus. Well, uh, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among among us, us. and and it it continues on. But my point in this conversation is this, that the word for flesh in the Greek also does not have the article.
0: He became but, a flesh.
2: Yeah. But they don't translate, right. he became a flesh. So
0: right. If, so,
1: if you have a translational standard, you have to abide by it every time. Right. Exactly yeah. right. But even then,
2: because I know, you know, you wouldn't know that there's no article with right. without looking at the Greek within this passage. So, going back to the the opening verses... Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. And here's how you can know even without knowing Greek that um, that's a very – they have a very poor interpretation of this one. Verse 3. All things came into being through him, meaning the Word. And apart from him was not even one thing Came that, or sorry, apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Mm -hmm. So all beings, all things can be put into one of two categories, uncreated things and created created things. things. Yeah. And John is painstakingly making it clear that the word belongs in the uncreated uncreated things. Yeah. That he created all things. And then he flips it. He says... Of all the things that have been created, none of those were created apart from him. Right. So he, therefore, cannot be a created being. Right. Because all things that have been created were created by him.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's good. We got some apologetics. We got a Greek lesson. This is fantastic. I love it. Yeah. So I think
1: part yeah. part of the difficulty is when we say God, people think the Father, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. So, you know, we would agree that Jesus is not the Father. On the other good hand... Good distinction. You know, one of the issues with like Jesus and, you know, being the son is that people say, oh, well, Jesus came into being right through the incarnation or, you know, when Mary got Mm -hmm. pregnant, Okay, put it bluntly. So that's when the son came into being. So no, no, the son always has always existed. There's always been the relationship of father, son, and spirit, you know. Pre time, mm-hmm. you know, timelessly, arguably, um, and so, uh, but but the sun becomes flesh, right? right. So that that's another. So it, those, if we just made a few distinctions along the way, I think it would be clear. I have also had lifelong Christians tell me, "Well, Jesus isn't God." I'm like, did your pastor do such a poor job of preaching that he was this only was, talking about tithing? Was, apparently, this, yeah. We never apparently. talked about the Trinity, um, or were you not listening, or 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 or, or is it a <clears throat> a trinitarian confusion? So. Um, can I give one more example? Yeah. I mean, you probably have others too, but, um,
2: I just want to add real quick, uh, since you, you bring it up. Um, last night, I don't even remember the con- context. Um, I think it was my daughter asked how old Jesus is. Oh. And so, and she, she's four and a half, just for those that don't know. <laughs> she's um, 29. So, uh, <laughs> she asked how old Jesus is. And just getting back to like the two natures thing. So, like, I hope this wasn't heresy. We, my wife and I did our best to answer is like, well, on the one hand, in his divine nature, he's eternal. Yeah. That he has always existed, right? Thinking like yeah. John 1, right? In the beginning was the word. But I was like, I, I, I think you could say.
0: It's roughly and, two, and, 2020. You know,
2: it, yeah. uh, you know, in regards to his, uh, humanity. And my son chimed in. He goes, Oh, I know, I know this, I know this. He's 2023 because it's the yeah, year yeah, yeah. 2023. And then I had to say, well, Give actually, take. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's probably closer to 2026 because, you know, the bishop who created this calendar was probably off by a few years. And then, then
0: your son's eyes rolled back in his head. And he well, like, then
2: they go, what's a bishop? And then, oh, you know, okay. then we could get into... A divinely
1: appointed <laughs> biblical okay. office. Right, right,
2: right. <laughs> yeah, So, yeah, that... We, Trying not to go too far down the rabbit hole there, but just, you know, to, yeah. to, to your point there. Yeah. And, and his, he was not always human from eternity past. Mm-hmm. He always, the sun, the word always existed. He took on flesh. He added a human nature to his divine nature, roughly 2023
0: to ish, 26 years ago. Ish, years yeah. Ago. Interesting
1: um okay so your verse uh, well it's it's a similar situation of a of a it's the granville sharp construction i'm Mm -hmm. sure you've heard of that uh but it's like the the debate about articles which um so the granville sharp i'm not going to be able to describe it you know in terms of the the language but basically it's when you have a pairing you know with a chi the greek word for and in between um and so it's a question of like whether those things can be separated or whether they're part of the same clause. So the, the best examples like second Peter one verses one and then verse 11.
0: I have that on my list. That's oh, funny. Great.
1: So, yeah. uh, so to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. So God and savior. So what, so now like say a, a Unitarian, like Jehovah's witness would say, Oh, well he's speaking about God, the father and then Jesus also, Christ. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so so if you're going to do that, okay, fine. That is a valid way to to read that, perhaps. But, but then, then you have then to read verse, everything that way. Yeah. Verse 11, it says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? So there are oneness folks who would say that... Jesus is Lord and Savior, but not God. Mm-hmm. But what Peter says is God and Savior, and, it's, and grammatically it's the exact same rule. So right. you would have to apply it equally. So you have to you would either have to say that he's not God, fine, but then you'd have to say he's not Lord. Also not, right. yeah. You know? That's a package deal. Yeah. Which is pretty hard
2: to argue, you know, when you look at the rest of the New Testament. Clearly Jesus is
1: Lord. Yeah. Well, that was another question I actually I had because um so when the the use of of Lord, uh, because the word Lord is what is used in the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, Kyrios, which the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but Mm -hmm. then there was a Greek version, the Septuagint. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the word Lord is replaced every time the name for God is given, Yahweh the divine name, the given name of God, which is used hundreds and hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Um, and I'm, I'm okay saying it because I don't believe I'm saying it in vain. I don't think I'm breaking any commandments mm-hmm. in saying the name. Um, but, you know, out of a, this kind of like... Uh,
0: Reverence. or Yeah,
1: or maybe c- careful, you know, not wanting to commit blasphemy, the name is always Curios, you know. But yet Kyrgios' name is used for Christ over and over and over again mm. in the New Testament. Right. So was that the New Testament people's way of saying you know that the lord here and the lord here are the same interesting jesus is yahweh. yeah that's my view yeah personally and that is the easiest way to say it by the way i think is to say jesus is yahweh right. because when we talk about the trinity we're talking about one being yahweh yahweh is the being yahweh mm. is not the father yahweh is the being the father son and spirit are the distinct persons hmm. who uh and there's all kinds of debates going on about I don't know. I think it's a lot of it's sort of silly, but biblically, that's what you sort of have to walk away with, right? Right. One being that God acts in complete harmony. There is only one God. And yet there are these three distinct persons, you know? Yeah. So if we were just simply a little more careful in our language and we weren't like terrified of saying the name Yahweh, I think it actually would clarify some things, which is why some of the, um, there are, there are, uh, translations of the Bible coming out now that are using Yahweh and not putting in Lord in all caps. Uh, yeah, I use a Lexham Bible, which is pretty much just online, but the, uh, one of the big ones is coming out now. Is it the new, um, uh, the NASB, I think maybe is doing that. It's hmm. putting Yahweh in the old Testament. But anyway, um, another, another one of those things like forgiving of sins is that Jesus is worshiped on, on numerous occasions. Right. And that would have been inappropriate for, for a man to receive worship who's not God. So like
0: yeah but to me that doesn't prove that he was god that just proves that people could have been misguided That's true. That's true. Um,
1: but he doesn't reject
2: their worship. Oh, okay. Which is, that's fair. I think the, the But that could just make
0: him a um you know. You could still sh- put him in shyster. the liar, lunatic yeah. category yeah. with that. Yeah. 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 And not trying to talk us out of it cuz I believe he he was and is Yahweh. But it's it's, your-
2: it's one point amongst a large larger argument.
0: Right? Yeah. And there's so many. I mean, I had several verses here. In fact, the verse that you just mentioned, the second Peter one, I had for a different reason. I had to say mm. that Peter believed that. Mm. Like, that it's yeah. not just that Jesus said it, and then, of course, he showed it in signs and wonders, um, but also that the people closest to him went to their death believing this. That's got to count for something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um,
1: Thomas also, when he puts his hands in the, mm-hmm. the wounds of Christ, says, my Lord, my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's the same Granville Sharp construction or not, but, uh, you know, that I would throw that into the mix. Um, I
0: also have down here Matthew one twenty three, where it says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And it says right in the text, which means God with us. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a bunch. I won't read them all, but um, but he also has the I am statement. And mm-hmm. so we're going through John in our um, Bible study, my women's Bible study right now. If you're not part of women's Bible study and you live in Houston, yeah. come check it out. Um, but in John 8, uh, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. Well, that would not have been lost on um, especially the Pharisees and scribes and all of those guys that had Which the Torah. Which is why they
2: try to have him killed.
0: Right. 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 I mean, they, he's going back to. They are clear on what he's
1: claiming. Right.
0: Right. Oh, that's another great point. Like, this right. is yeah. why Jesus his, died. His enemies,
1: you know, understand right. it. Yeah, yeah. So his
0: disciples, his enemies, people that were healed by him, seems like what, there's a consensus. What's there. the
2: significance of the "I am"?
0: Oh, just that it's what God used to describe Himself when He talked to Moses at the burning bush. Right. And of course, it's used several times in John. I am the great shepherd. I am the vine. I am the, all these things. Right. Um. Anyway, I mean, that just, is
1: that is Yahweh. That, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that that's the name, and um yeah I, I remember being in seminary which was a very liberal seminary it was the elca and they'd be like oh it's just you know it's just a uh it's, it's an unavoidable you know grammatical construction he's not he doesn't actually mean anything by it um and some people have argued well that may be um but in john i think it's really hard to avoid because of john 1 1 mm-hmm. and well all of john 1 really but yeah um you know, I think I think that Jesus knew exactly what he was saying and all of the repeated references of I am the, you know, the shepherd, the good shepherd mm-hmm. and, you know, um, the resurrection, the life and et cetera. So. And
0: each of those, this is the cool thing about studying your Bible. You know, when I was much younger, I thought, well, at some point you don't need to study your Bible anymore because you'll understand it all. But every time you study, you discover like these depths, like just for example, I wasn't planning on saying this, but the I am the good shepherd. um is a very, like, vociferous nod back to Ezekiel 34, I think, which is talking about um, – Ezekiel is talking about, like, that they need a new shepherd because they have – because Israel has bad shepherds. And then this whole thing about God is going to be your shepherd. So you, you sort of like a hyperlink. If you look back on that, you realize that Jesus isn't just saying this neat kind of metaphor, like, I'm going to watch over you like a shepherd does. But he's going back and saying, like, the way that Ezekiel is saying God will be your shepherd, mm. I am that, so I'm God. Like that's just mm-hmm. another, yeah. lot. but you have to do some work to get there. You have to like, you know, look at all the little yeah. tiny letters in your Bible and go back and leaf through, and or the twenty-third
1: um, Psalm. Yeah, you know, Yahweh is my shepherd. Yep. Um, I shall not want. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. I throw out. I throw out even a couple of more if we could. Sure. Uh, um, Revelation, I think it's five, but uh, there are myriads of angels worshiping, and it makes it clear it's the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, there's an there's an example of angels in heaven right. worshiping mm-hmm. the sun, and you know, so how do you escape that? And then I mentioned Philippians two earlier, right. but you know, he takes on the form of God. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, the I know the word there is like metaphorae or met, metamorphae. Um, you know, so it talks about you know Jesus taking on the form of God. I, I think that's an undeniable text, you know, mm-hmm. because that there Paul is talking about the glory of God like went all the way to the cross. He died even death on a cross. So. Um, You know, so certainly within Paul. Now, again, that Paul could maybe, although Paul was written earlier than the Gospels, arguably, at least some of Paul was. uh, But, you know, some people, I guess, could say, well, Paul was, you know, misunderstood or Paul saw this crazy vision on his way to Damascus and he didn't understand. So he, you know, Paul's in the lunatic camp or something. (laughs) But, yeah, I think you have to look at it like a discontent conflation or this you, all the evidence the right, yeah right, yeah, right. yeah
0: well and since we're throwing out verses john ten thirty, jesus says i and the father are one that's pretty clear
1: yeah um some now, people argue that's not like as strong you know because it's it's speaking to the their their the oneness unity. and purpose and unity yeah, right right, yeah, right.
0: but but, but I think yes. if you pay if you combine it with all the others. For sure. Po- For sure. poor Holy Spirit doesn't really make as much of a showing here. I mean, he's he's there, but he's not talked about as clearly as he will be later. But um He's the shy member of the The Shy world. Member.
2: You never <laughs> oh heard God. that before?
0: No. Yeah. But we'll be talking all about the Holy Spirit in one of our upcoming events. So and if you are listening and you want to know what all these references are, um, you can just reach out to us. HoustonTOT.com. We have all of our leadership up there and you can contact us and we'll send you all these verses. Um, so you can look them up for yourself and make sure we're not just lying to you. Any last thoughts before I close this out? Cool. Cool. Cool.
2: Read your Bible.
0: Read yeah. your Bible. That way you know what
2: it really says.
0: And, uh, yeah. And read your Bible along with someone that, um, maybe is a little bit ahead of you on the, on the journey of faith and um, can help with some of the stuff that can get confusing.
1: I'll throw out one more passage. Okay. Just not to go through it, but Colossians 1. If if you ever do have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, they're going to go through Jehovah's or, or uh, Colossians 1 with you.
0: Oh, really? And, okay. Um,
1: so I would just say to people, read it. If you're not familiar with it, read it. Because... Um, is
0: that where we're talking about Christ sustaining, like he's the creating? Well, they'll the say
1: s- he's the firstborn right. of all creation.
0: Right? Oh. So, see, he was
2: the first created being.
0: Oh, right, okay, is, okay. So the logic
2: right. goes. Yeah. But firstborn means preeminent, that yeah. he is above all creation. And yeah. again, we have to use scripture to interpret scripture. And so...
0: Or just send them to Mace, and he'll tell you. He'll yeah. set you straight. Well, or just, just keep reading. John just 1, keep 3, reading in that chapter, and right, I think right, it, it right. you
1: know makes it okay. without quoting it. But right. I, I did want to just mention that because uh, that is that. I mean, I was flummoxed once, you know, some years ago when when a Jehovah's Witness came to my door and used that passage, and I thought, oh, I guess I'm not very familiar with that, and I haven't studied it. So, so, yeah.
2: so Colossians one fifteen, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. They'll go see, but to Evan's point. Verse 16, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. So same point that John one three right, was making right. that Jesus has created all things. So clearly firstborn cannot mean the first created being. Yeah. Because he created all things.
0: So is that a is that a bad translation to say firstborn? You say preeminent like he's the prince, sort of, like that kind of Yeah, like he's, that- he's
1: he's he's the boss. <laughs> you know? I don't think it's a bad translation. I just think it's a, a phrase that kind of has lost its meaning. Uh, you know? okay. It's, a, it's an idea. That's that like idea translation, right? Yeah. Like the words are correct, but it, it – We don't use it that way yeah. anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I'm it, a firstborn, so yeah. I feel like we need to bring it back. Yeah. I feel preeminent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, Mace, if anyone was intrigued by you today and they're like, man, I like that guy. I want to reach out to him. How can listeners find you?
2: Um, I would probably say the easiest thing, I'm on Facebook and yeah. Twitter. I'm not cool enough for anything other than that. You realize uh, being
0: on Facebook is definitely not cool. It is definitely not cool. I have a teenage cool. daughter. She I, informs me. I understand
2: me. that. But uh, yeah. so if you're not cool like me, you can find me on Facebook. <laughs> if you're slightly cooler, you can find me on Twitter. Look up Mace Perez, M-A-C-E. I'm pretty sure there's not many of us running around. So no. probably easy to, yeah. to find
0: me. And of course, if you want to reach out to any of us or learn more about our upcoming events, some of which we, we actually talked about. A fair amount especially in the first question about like what parts of the old testament are we supposed to be obeying or paying attention to and what parts are you know we're allowed to eat bacon but do we still have to do the other stuff um we're going to be talking about that at our next big event on april 18th and i'm pretty sure this is coming out before that so um come check it out and we're going to hear a couple pastors duke it out about that and disagree and um you can pick sides it'll be fun um but they love each other it'll be good it'll be good Any questions you have, go to HoustonTOT.com. And until we gather together again, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply and disagree as needed.